Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the last book of the Bible. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to speak a little while. I always say this uh, pretty early. If you say amen, I'll know you're getting it, and I'll be able to go on. Otherwise, I'll have to go around about three times. So just if you feel like saying amen, it'll be good for all of us. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Pastor, you just let me know when it's been long enough. Our clock up there is not working. Revelation chapter 3, I want to read verse 15 and verse 19. Somebody went to sleep and fell out of the loft. (laughs) Like when Paul preached about all night. (laughs) Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would rather that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I'm going to tell you what that means, but I'm going to wait till the end. That way nobody will leave because... Some of you have wondered what that means too. Why would Jesus say that he would spew people out of his mouth? Because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Verse 19. As many as I love, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Father, give us ears to hear. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and we thank you for it. I'm going to just say a few things uh, sort of as introduction It is widely believed, and I think it is rightly believed, that the angels of the seven churches, that the King James calls the angels of the seven churches of Asia, are not angels, actually, but they are the presiding officers of these churches. The presiding officers, or we could say the pastors or elders of these churches. Today, we are only focusing on one of these churches, which happens to be, I hate to use this term, but it it fits. Today we're focusing on one of these churches, the worst of these churches. Nobody wants to be the worst, do we? 
Okay, I'll have to explain around two or three times. Amen. It's the worst of the churches. We're going to look at how negligence, how negligence in duty of a Christian can spread like the worst type of cancer until it has eaten all the life out of a person so that only a shell is left. It's a little warm, so I got an excuse to take my coat off. Thank you, sir. Be careful with that. Thank you. (laughs) We're going to look at how negligence and duty on the part of a Christian can spread like the worst kind of cancer until it has eaten all of the life out of the person so that only a shell is left. And the lesson is for us today. I was going to speak a little bit of a later message, but the Lord refocused me, redirected me, and I believe I have his word for us today. This church, this church, Laodicea, had no real significant works. The decline had gone so far that even the eye of the Lord, listen to this, this church had no significant works. The decline had gone so far that even the eyes of the Lord could not see any sign of the operation of the religious principle of life in God in it. And all he could say to them was, you are neither cold nor hot. Brothers and sisters, I am not here today to rebuke us, but rather to protest. to professing Christians, to appeal to professing Christians who may be among us today from the word of God. Jesus said, as many as I love, I chasten. I don't know about you, but I need his love and I need his chastening. Amen? I need his love and I need his chastening. To begin with, I want to ask that we look at the loving rebuke and who it came from. The loving rebuke and who it came from. Jesus said, you are neither cold nor hot. The comparison that Jesus is giving to us is applied to feeling, not not like we used to get where we, we didn't think we had a good service unless we jumped all around, jumped over the pews and all that kind of stuff. Not that kind of feeling, but the comparison is applied to feeling, the warmth 
of feeling the fervor of love that is supposed to be in all of us children of God. The opposite of this warmth, this fire, this fervor, the opposite, cold, expresses the absence of any glow of a true emotion. So the persons described here in this way are Christian people with almost no glow of Christian love and life and consecration to God. That's how the church of Laodicea was. Let me say that one more time. The opposite of fervor and warmth and fire, which is cold, expresses the absence of any glow of a true emotion. So the persons described here in this way are Christian people who have almost no glow of Christian love and no real consecration to God. Now, consecration is a word we don't hear too much anymore, but it's just as important as when we did hear it. We used to uh, go forward for consecration every Sunday night. I saw my pastor at Victor Smith's funeral. When I was a young man in high school, he was my pastor, Vaudie Lambert. He was 89 or 90 years old, and I recognized him just like that, and he was sharp as a tack. In fact, he, he said, Ron, I haven't seen you in so long. He said, I know where it was. You came to the camp meeting where I was preaching. I didn't remember that. But I'm not 90 yet, so maybe I'll get there. <clears throat> Wonderful man of the Lord. I wrote him a letter one time, a few years ago, and I said, Brother Lambert, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your ministry when I was a young person in your church uh, how much I appreciate the fact that I could look at you while you were preaching and I could tell that you loved that Bible. I think it's pretty rare today for uh, people to really love the Bible. He would jump up and down. I can't do it especially since I got boots on today, but he would jump up and down while he was preaching, hold on to the pulpit, and he'd, he'd be going like this. He had the fervor and the fire inside of him. This church had lost that. The church of Laodicea had lost that. They used to have it, but it's gone now in what we read today. Consecration is a very important word and he always knew that on Sunday night he would have at least one person come forward to get right with the Lord. He would say, if there's anybody in this room that you're not absolutely sure that if Jesus comes in the clouds in the next 30 seconds, you better get to this altar. And boy, I would dive in the altar. He knew he'd have a convert every Sunday night. But I loved 
the church that he pastored. In fact, I became his assistant pastor for a while, and that was wonderful as well. The persons described here in this way are Christian people, but Christian people with almost no glow of Christian love and no real consecration to God. But that's not all. The defect of lack of Christian love, of Christian feeling, the lack of Christian feeling accompanied with a heaping, helping of self-complacency. That was the problem in Laodicea. They were self-complacent. Let me just ask you, are you, are you in a place like the Laodicean church where you feel like, you know what, I don't care what they do, I'm gonna just sit here and I'm gonna enjoy the singing and all of that. But I'm doing fine, I'm doing fine. I'm doing well, I'm saved. I believe I'm going in the rapture. That's sort of the way Laodicea was. They had a heaping amount of self Complacency. What is complacency? Jesus pointed to it in describing what the church at Laodicea had to say about herself. See, I'm not imagining this. She said, the church said, the attitude of that church was, we are rich, we're increased with goods, and this is the clincher, and have need of nothing. And have need of nothing. I want to tell you, when I come here, I come as much out of need as anything else. I need God. I need Him. Not just on Sunday morning, and not just on Wednesday night, but I need Him. But the Laodicean church said, we don't need a thing. We've got it all together. And Jesus said, you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. How many can see there's a vast difference in those two things? They said, we are rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing. Jesus said, I'm sorry to tell you that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know, Jordan, it doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we think. It matters what he knows about us. It matters what he knows about us. And because he loves us, he is not going to withhold the rod sometimes. He knows how to deal with us. But it is always, it is always out of love. 
How could they be so far from the truth? A sure sign, a sure sign of defective religion, and I'm not saying religion is a bad thing. You know, that's sort of a fad that's gone through the church that anything that we don't like, we call it religion. But that's not what I'm talking about. A sure sign of defective religion and religious emotion is complete, please hear this, a sure sign of defective religion is complete unconsciousness on the part of the individual and the church that there is anything wrong with us. A sure sign of defective religion and a lack of religious fervor and zeal is complete unconsciousness on the part of the individual and the church that there is anything wrong with him or with them. All of us today who do not believe that this indictment has anything to do with us by that very fact proves that it applies especially and tragically to us. There are people who really believe. Laodicea really believed they had it all together. They really believed that they were a great church. But the fact of the matter is they were about as far from it as anyone could be. I want to just say that one more time. All of us today who do not believe that this indictment has anything to do with us by that very fact proves that it applies especially to us and tragically to us. Self-complacency is a diagnosis of spiritual coldness. Self-complacency is a diagnosis of spiritual coldness and is an inevitable symptom of a deficiency of religious fervor. Not only is that true, but it is also true that this deficiency, this lack of spiritual warmth is worse than zero degrees. This deficiency that they had, and maybe someone here has, maybe at times we may deal with that on a church level, this lack of warmth is worse, Pastor, according to Jesus, than zero degrees. Jesus said, I would rather, I would rather you were cold or hot why is that? It is because there is no man more hopeless than the man or the woman on whom the power of Christianity has come and has failed to warm him and quicken him. 
He's saying they've had some sort of an encounter with God. But it was not thoroughgoing. It didn't go far enough. There was not enough consecration. There was not enough submission to God. And he said that it's better to be ice cold. If that man were cold at zero degrees, there would be at least a possibility that when he was brought into contact with the heat, he might warm up. But if he has been brought into contact with the warmth or with the fire of God, the zeal of the Lord, and this is what happened, where does he go from that point? Where does he go from that point? There is nothing more that can make you better than you are than what is already operating in our spiritual lives. There's nothing more that can make us better than we are than what is already operating in our spiritual life. If it has failed, God's armory is empty. Nothing more has been left to do. Jesus said, I would rather you were ice cold than that you were lukewarm. I believe that I must say it is to a dangerous extent the condition of many professing Christians in our day. Now, I know that's not going to make anybody jump over a bench, but I don't care. I believe that I must say that it is to a dangerous extent the condition of professing Christians in our land, in our city, I hope not in our church, I hope not in our lives. Do you agree with me that we ought to look into our own hearts? We ought to look into our own hearts here and now. And that we then and only then should look at the standard of Christian life that is around us. You know the saying is, when I'm pointing this way, there's three pointing back this way. That's what he's talking about. We should look at the standard of our Christian life before we look at the standard of people around us. The line between the church and the world has sort of got blared, is that right? Blurred, blurred. The line between the church and the world has become blurred. How little consecration and how little unworldliness there is on our side of the line. It's getting to be more and more true that the sort of life that the world lives is the sort of life that a lot of Christians live. Say, well, Ron, that's pretty straight. I know it. I know it is. It's getting to be more and more the case that the sort of the life, sort of life that the world lives 
is the sort of life that the church lives today. The church of the early part of this century can only be classed as feeble. The church of the early part of the 20, is this the 20th or 21st century? can only be classified as feeble. The low lives that most professing Christians are living should cause us to ask a question. Is that the work of the Spirit of God that comes to transform and quicken everything into his own flaming fire? Or is it the operation of our own selfishness, and worldliness. Brothers and sisters, it is for each of us to ask ourselves this question. Do we not hear the voice of Jesus saying, I know thy works, that you're neither cold nor hot? I pray that it not be so. What are some of the obvious causes of this lukewarmness of spiritual life. The tendency in this direction is in at least uh, potentially, the tendency in this direction potentially is in all of us. If you take a bar of iron in a factory and you take it out of the furnace on a winter day and lay it where the air can get to it, and you leave it there, after a while, the white heat will begin to diminish, and in a short time, it will be as cold as the atmosphere around it. How many see the point? There is always a process at work which must be counteracted by continual contact with the furnace of spiritual warmth spiritual fire, or else we will be cooled down to the temperature of cold that is around us. There are many other causes. Laodicea was a great commercial center. It was a hub of trade in that part of the world. In our land today, with all its anxieties and perplexities, we have a foe to reality in our Christian life. The cares of this world, the Bible says, and the riches of this world are some of the thorns which do what? Choke out the seed of God's word. Choke out the seed of God's word. We're looking at the things that contribute or help to come into a state of lukewarmness. We can become so absorbed with business, willingly devoting many hours and much strength to that, but grudgingly and partially devoting ourselves to the religious side of life. Some folks, boy, they can work up a storm Fill up this pocket 
What about the work of our God? There's another case, and that is the increasing degree to which Christian men are occupied with secular things. Secular is a big word in our world today. It's all right for a Christian man to put himself in the arena of politics. Some of you may be surprised to hear me say that, but I believe it's true. It's all right for a man to put himself in the arena of politics if he will take his Christianity with him into the political arena and not become a great deal more interested in elections and the party and in working for the cause than he is in working for the master. God help us. Then there is literature of all things and art of all things and other objects of interest on the part of men who have no religion. But are we also absorbing our energy and our earnestness in those things? I'm not going to speak against, is it John Gresham? I'm not going to speak against him. He apparently is a great writer. I can tell you one thing I know for sure. He is a rich writer. He sold over 300 million books. It must be nice. Some people have read every book. There's nothing wrong if you've read every book. But some people have read every book, but they haven't read the Bible five minutes in a month. Something is wrong with that. Something is wrong with that. Go where you please and put yourselves into all kinds of interest, but be sure that you are not, if you are not salting the world, hear me, if you're not salting the world, the world is putrefying you and me. If we're not salting the world, Jesus said we are the salt of the earth. If we're not salting, Christians are bad about piling all the salt up in one place. Their neighborhood has no salt. Their neighborhood has no salt. If you're not salting the world, if you're not salting the people in your office, you may very well be being putrefied by the world. I think we have some understanding of the causes which work to lower the temperature of the Christian church in general and even of our church and of individual members of the church. Now take note to the loving call. The loving call to deepened earnestness for God. Jesus said to that church, the worst church, he said to them, be zealous, therefore. 
The word translated zealous means this, boiling with heat. Jesus said, I know what you are. You are lukewarm. But he said, I say to you, I want you to become red hot for me. We're all being exhorted to fervor. There is nothing. This is just a kind of a word of caution here that I inserted in here. And I'd like you to listen very carefully. There is nothing in all the world worse than for a man to try to work up emotion. There's nothing which is so sure to breed hypocrisy and all manner of evil as working up emotion. If there is anything that is worse than trying to work up emotion, it is trying to pretend. The world says, fake it till you make it. And the church, the church may be very close. If there's anything that is worse, anything that is worse than working up emotion, it's trying to fake it, trying to pretend. Who are we pretending for? Who are we pretending for? It really doesn't amount to two hoots what people think about us. It's what God knows about us. It's what he knows about us. And he knows everything about us. He knows where we are. We could talk about that a while, but I got four more pages. The only way in which we can safely increase our zeal, our fervor, the fire in us, is by increasing our grasp of the truths, of the truths that feed it. I want you to let that sink in. The only way in which we can safely increase our zeal, our fervor, is by increasing our grasp of the truths, of the truths, of the truths that feed us. So the exhortation, be zealous, if we analyze it, is this. Lay hold on, meditate on the great truths that will make our hearts glow with the fire of God. I want to tell you something. You can watch all the Christian television, hear all the Christian songs you want, but unless you take that Bible and open it up and find the truths of God's Word, you're not going to get anywhere. Thy Word if I hid in my heart. Lay hold of the great truth that Christ Jesus has a storehouse absolutely full of everything that you and I need. Everything that we need, he has it in his storehouse. And instead of watching the news and listening and getting all upset, which I sometimes do, I confess it, 
We need to take that one truth, that one truth, that one truth, that everything we need, even things we don't know we need, but God knows they're in his storehouse and they're for us. Grasp the great thought of the loving Christ whose dealings with us are the manifestations of his love. And that will cause your heart and my heart to glow. Let these wonderful thoughts of Christ, that a Christ that gives us everything, a Christ whose dealings are love, let them draw us to him and kindle a brighter flame of consecration and devotion in our hearts to him. Feed upon the great truths of the gospel which kindles zeal. Finally, I can't promise that's the only time we'll use finally here, but pastor does that once in a while. <laughs> Isn't that true? We, we both do. We both. I had to go see a man on the Outer Banks who was part of our church, and I had to go see him on a matter that needed, I really needed to talk to him, and he needed to hear and um, somehow lying was involved. I don't remember all about it. He looked at me and he said, Pastor, you lie every Sunday. I said, what? <laughs> he said, you lie every Sunday. You say you're going to be through in five minutes. <laughs> Help us, Lord. Because Jesus loves, he loved the church of Laodicea. <laughs> he loved that church. He cared about that church. He had not written them off. He said to them, here's what you do. Number one, you repent. Repent. Listen, it may be a word that's not in vogue in the church today some places but it still is in God's word yes. Jesus said repent yes. repentance speaks of a lowly consciousness of sin do not be ashamed do not be ashamed if you've been living a low and inconsistent life in the past. Don't be ashamed. There has never been any great bursting forth of life in a Christian that has not been preceded by lowly repentance before God. There's never been any penitence which is not preceded by a recognition of Christ's great love. I told you, finally, this is finally number two. We must have the fiery spirit of God to come and baptize us, churches, and individuals. You can take a solution 
that is full of microscopic germs. You can't see them, but it's full. A solution that is full of microscopic germs that will putrefy. Expose it to the heat and you will kill all the germs in it so that a hundred years from now there will have been no further putrefaction in it because of the fire. Get the temperature of the church up by getting ourselves, our own temperature up. And all the evils that are eating away the church's life will shrivel up and will fall to the bottom. They cannot live in the heat. Ron, that is good, good preaching. I just thought I'd mention that to you before, before you quit. Let's get nearer to his love. And though the world may say, thou hast a devil, Other people will say about us, the zeal of God's house has eaten him up. I don't care what the devil says. I want to be able to have people say about me, he has the zeal of the Lord. How many want the zeal of God in us? Last page. Jesus said, if you do not repent, if you do not repent, I will what? I will spew you out of my mouth. Now some of you are like me. You've wondered, why did he say that? Are we in his mouth? What, what does that mean? He said, if you do not repent, I will spew you out of my mouth. Called a friend of mine, Edward Nelson, G. Edward Nelson. I said, why did he say that? He said, Ron, what Jesus is saying is, if you don't repent, I will reject you. I will reject you. I will reject you. He rejects, he rejects the death culture, the death culture. What is the death culture? I'm not going to help anybody. I'm not going to give life to anybody. It's all about me. It's just hold on for one more minute and we're done. He rejects the death culture. People who live only for themselves, only to be seen, only to be heard. He's, he rejects that. Those who do not bring life to others, those who do not bring life to others, 
he will spew out of his mouth. Which is another way of saying, if you are a part of the death culture, you will be rejected by him. We're supposed to live for others. Live for him and live for others. We're supposed to live for others. I love to go to uh, Cracker Barrel. There's a man in there. Um, he happens to be a black man. And he busses tables. And he works hard. He doesn't talk. He doesn't lean up against the wall and carry on conversations. He doesn't talk on his cell phone. He works. And every time I go in there, I take him five or ten dollars and just say, I love the way you work. We're supposed to live for others. We're supposed to be looking for opportunities to bless other people, to minister life to other people. The church has to get a hold of that. It has to come to pass. If it does not come to pass, Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth or I will reject you. None of us want that. Would you stand with me? Father, Father, we bow before you. We bow before you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you gave me enough humility to call in and say, I don't really know what this means. And he said, well, I think I know what it means. I'll tell you what I know. Lord, help us to get off our high horse. Stop thinking we got all the answers. Help us, Father. Help us to have a life culture. A life culture. In our home, in our marriage, with our children, with our church, with our friends, with our relatives, with all the people that we come in contact with. You say, Ron, I'm not real sure that Ed was right about that. Well, I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. He said, I was in prison and you did not come to me. I was sick and you did not come to me. And on and on and on he went. And he said, not I say, he said, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And inasmuch as you've not done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. I don't know if that guy... I don't care what he does with the money. I just, I like people that work. They know how to work and they're not afraid of work. Some people said they're fascinated by work. They could lay down by it all day long. It's okay to laugh in church. That was a joke. It didn't go over very well, but it was a joke. Lord, thank you that you love, you loved Laodicea. 
You loved Ephesus. You loved Smyrna. You loved Pergamos. You loved Sardis. You loved Thyatira. You loved Philadelphia. And you loved the assembly. You loved this church. You loved this church. You love it. You love it. Oh, God. Thank you that you love us with all of our deficiencies, all of our woes, all of our eccentricities. You love this church. Set us aflame, Father. Set us aflame. Set us aflame, O God. And help us to burn and burn and burn and burn for you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Pastor.